Welcome to Filled to Flourish with Luke and Lauren. Where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Welcome back, everybody. We are back for our second episode with Katie talking about the Enneagram. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. So excited to hear this second part of Katie explaining the the last four numbers on the Enneagram. Um, If you missed out on the the first five that we talked about, check out our last episode. You will want to check it out and hear all that Katie has to say. She has a wealth of knowledge, information, and it was just very informative. And bravo for your patience in waiting the extra week for your number if you are a five, six, seven, or eight. You still matter and you will now get to hear about the rest of the numbers. So thank you for your patience. It's always hard when you want to hear, hear it all, but it's, the Enneagram has so much, so many elements to it that it really is, um, it's good to split it up, so. Yeah, so Katie, welcome back, and thank you for joining us for our, our two episodes in a row. Thanks, guys. It is so much fun. I I know this is a podcast, so you can't see the ginormous smile that's like falling off my face in excitement, but this is my favorite part about this world, and I love when emotional health meets the Enneagram, and the powerful tool it is. And I have just been so blessed by your friendship over the years. I wouldn't say even over the years, how about over the last year? Because it feels like we've been friends forever. That's what I say over the years, but really it's like been like nine months or something. Um, you guys are just a treasure. And I've been so thankful for our paths crossing and just the joy and encouragement we get to be to each other as we do individual journeys and lead other people in emotional health. And so yeah, I'm so excited to dive back into the Enneagram. We're going to hit the head triad now, which I'm so excited about because that's where I am. I'm a number six. So I'm like, yeah, this is, this is my territory. So we are going to enter into another triad, uh, five, six, and seven. That is the fear triad and the head triad. So why don't you introduce us to that triad? Yeah, so... The head triad consists of the numbers five, six, and seven, and they all share similar um, processes in that they first process information through thinking. Um, the head triad is known for thinking and complete thoughts. If they see a sentence in their mind, it's complete, and that's mind-blowing to some of the other triads that process information in other ways. What do you mean it's a complete thought? And it is. We think in complete thoughts and sentences. Um, and so we process information first through how we think about it. And some, for some of the numbers, that's a fast process for some of them, it's a slow process, um, depending on introvert or extrovert or internal or outward processor, all of those things factor in, but we all in the head triad share similar liabilities and strengths around our desire for security or safety and, our anxiety or fear can be our weakness. So anyone in the head triad is probably going to tell you no to fear and anxiety. We don't actually believe that we often have fear and anxiety. It can be hard for us to identify. So if you're in the head triad and you are like, oh yeah, I'm totally anxious. I just want to say bravo to you because when I started, I was like, 
I am not anxious. I don't know what y'all talking about. Okay. So for me, I pictured anxiety as maybe a panic attack or some like intense emotional expression. And because we're in the head triad, we don't do a lot of intense emotional expressing maybe until we're further along in our journey. So for the reason we say that the head triad struggles with anxiety is because we can all suffer from analysis paralysis where our mind is going at the speed of light through all the options, through all the information, through all the things we want to know or don't have, or how are we going to do the next thing? And so that can actually look like anxiety and we all desire security. And again, that looks different for each number in the head triad. The five, they are asleep to the fact that they have anxiety and that they want security. They are so lost in their mind, they can live in a whole other world sometimes. And they have a whole internal world inside of them. And they're unaware of the fact that they're in that internal world because of anxiety and they don't want to face it. The six is the one that's the most aware of their anxiety and their need for security. And that can come out in a lot of different forms. So fives attach their need to security by knowledge. And sixes, it can come out in a need for security. It can come out through finances. I need to be financially stable to feel secure, or I need my house to be perfectly clean to feel secure, or maybe I'm going to get my sense of safety through relationships. Who am I connected to? So the six can be squiggly and that it can look a little bit different depending on the six, but it's still that same desire for security. And then you have the type seven and they are the ones that are avoiding. So um, just like they're more like the nine in that sense, they're avoiding the fact that they have anger. Sorry, nines are asleep. The ones are avoiding it. <clears throat> so the sevens are avoiding their anxiety by always going on to the new thing, the next adventure. They believe that if they move fast enough, their anxiety won't be able to catch up to them or their pain. Sevens hate facing pain. They will do just about anything to not. And so they find security by always running into the next adventure. Um, what's next? What can I do? Sevens are the ones that are bored at work and are scrolling and they see an ad for a $99 flight to you know Florida and they're on it the next day. Like there's just no, they're, they just, they're on to the next thing. They make a lot of snap decisions not realizing that they're actually always running from their internal world and what brings stability to their life is when they face it. So that's kind of the way that it looks for the triad of the head. I found it interesting. You're talking about the six finding, trying to find security through, you said even like a clean house. Like, so that could be seen like a OCD tendency or perfectionistic tendency. You could very easily say, oh, that's a one without knowing the motivation. And so if we talked about in the last uh, episode, we talked about that Enneagram is all about motivation. It's not about what you're doing, it's why you're doing what you're doing and the motivation behind doing what you're doing. Like a one might want a clean house, they're doing that because it's right. They're doing that because of a different motivation. A six is doing it because stability. Um, so that, that's just another good reminder. We haven't gotten to the six yet, but just a reminder that there's the motivation is 
what drives the conversation of the Enneagram. And I loved that you used the word anxiety. We've always heard the word fear, and I can see how you're switching that out because it's such a similar word, but it, it almost is more clarifying than fear. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking of the five, six, and sevens I know, and using that reframe for, of anxiety versus fear is super helpful. Um, so I think that's actually a way better term than fear. Yeah, for, I would agree. Yeah, so thanks. Yeah, and thanks for pointing that out, Lauren. It was a very intentional switch, and I wasn't sure if I should bring that up or not. But it's this idea that all of us face fear, like every number has something that they're afraid of. So I prefer to use the word anxiety, just because it taps into more of the way our brains search for things. Um, we're searching for answers, we're wondering about the future, we're looking for knowledge. Um, and again, just because you're in the head triad doesn't mean that you won't feel anger and shame. And just like a nine can also feel anxiety. It just means that this is the overall struggle that's gonna be more prevalent, that each one of the triads has one that's more common. Um, and so it looks differently. And Luke, I'm so glad you brought that up about the six and the one in the motivation. That's exactly right. Six and one is another number that often mistypes. The one is motivated by what's right. And the six is motivated by if I do what's right, it'll lend me to security. So it can be a tricky thing of like, well, why? <laughs> the question in the Enneagram always comes back to the why. Well, why are we doing that? Especially like, oh my gosh, we don't have time to get into this. But if you're like a crazy Enneagram person and want to dive into more family systems matter, like your parents and what numbers they were, like form a family norm and a system where like being right might be way more important. However, that doesn't make you a one. Um, your motivation is just going to show up or a behavior will show up that way because of a family culture, not because of your true motivation. Wow, that's another whole bunny trail that we, maybe we'll have you on another time to, to talk about that. <laughs> I'd be, be, be fascinated to hear about that. So why don't you jump into a five and give us some insight on the world of a five. Absolutely. So fives, my favorite trait about fives is their curiosity. Um, sevens can have some curiosity too, but a five fully believes that understanding something is what brings them and the world peace and wholeness. Fives want to know why. <laughs> they love research. One of their names for a five is the investigative thinker or the observer. So like, one of those two things, fives absorb and observe information. I love a world of fives because they're so analytical. They're insightful. They can be complex. They're very perceptive. They can even be eccentric sometimes because a five likes to master things. So they might go after just two or three things consistently and become a master at like crafting a sword or something. And you're like, how many hours did you spend? Like that's like, but that's how they might do their hobby. Like whatever they pick, they're gonna go all in with and they're gonna research and they're gonna grow and they're gonna wanna master it. Like they might not have 10 hobbies, but the three that they do have, they're gonna be all in. They love data, they love facts, 
surprising them with emotion doesn't usually go well. Um, so a five with a four wing is an intense internal conflict um, in some personalities, but the five, um, the most common trait of a five or recognizable thing about a five is that they have an internal battery that they know how much capacity they have left. They're constantly aware of their capacity level. So social situations can really overwhelm them. They enjoy their privacy immensely. Um, almost every five has what they call their secret cave or their internal world that they will retreat to for safety. So that's how security shows up for them. And they're gonna wanna kind of go inside themselves and pull back from the emotional demands from too many obligations, five hate being obligated. They don't like being intruded upon. They don't like contamination or surplus. Fives are like, we like very simple things. Um, they don't see a need for a lot of access. And one of the things that they fear the most is being ignorant. To them, it's literally like being undressed to find out that they don't know something. Knowledge is their protective armor that they armor up behind. And that's the thing that they actually do bring the world and they're correct. Like fives help us sift through information in amazing ways. They show up as engineers. They are so insightful in asking a question. Their curiosity and how they process make fives some of the most dutiful, humble, amazing people. And so they can go two directions with their knowledge. They can either always think that they don't have enough. And so they don't feel like they know enough. So they're going to keep learning or they think that they know it and they need to tell you. <laughs> so you can have a five that always shares information with you. And it's really important to understand that that's their bid for connection rather than like, why are you telling me this random thing? So it can go two directions with fives, but that's one of the ways that they connect, they desire to be seen as capable and competent. They want to be a master in knowledge and skill. They like to um, minimize their own needs and to remain undisturbed by other people. It's fives are very self-sufficient because <laughs> their message that they received in childhood is that it's not okay to be comfortable in the world or it's not okay to have needs. And so a message that we can bring to our fives that's really helpful for them is that your needs are not a problem. There's room for you to have needs. Like they are equal to everyone else's. You get to say what you need. So fives are often not in touch with what they need at all. And will try to answer every need they have with information. Um, but maybe it's connection, maybe it's empathy that they need but because they fear obligation, it can be hard for them to engage in intimacy where they're afraid that someone will make a relational bid and draw too much energy from them because they probably grew up with overly emotional parents or a lot of neediness. And so it's really scary for them when they encounter someone else having needs because it means there's no space for them to have needs. So for the five, it's this journey to realize that person can have needs and I'm not obligated to meet it. They can be self-sufficient and I can also have needs and it's safe and it's okay to allow someone else to meet my needs. And it doesn't mean that I'm obligated to them for the rest of forever. So 
they're very sensitive to manipulation. Fives have the most beautiful loyal side to them. Like, I love me some fives. <laughs> you just defined somebody that was that's very close to me. And they've really, it's actually touching me really deep right now. And to help me understand him, because I love him. And it's what you just uh, described just helps me know how to love him and a glimpse into his world and what he's explained to me. But the language you just used, just like- Took put, it to another level. Yeah, took it to another level and put some pieces together. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, and he is a self, self-ascribed self five. Yes. Like he, you're, you're not technically supposed to, for all you people out there, listening you're not supposed to like project a number onto someone if you don't know what they are you could maybe think that they are but you shouldn't unless someone said this is what I am you really shouldn't conclude that right Katie correct because that doesn't give them room to grow like when we just label someone it becomes a label and the Enneagram is all about being for self-awareness and discovery So a friend can ask you, hey, what type do you think I am? And you could say, hey, maybe you should look at this or this, or I see this characteristic. But because it's such a personal journey related to motivation, it can be really harmful when we start labeling people. Um, It's not wrong to think you're one number and live as that number for a while and then change. That's part of growth. That's not wrong at all. But it can be detrimental um, to someone that's been asked to live not authentically with who they are for a really long time already, the Enneagram helps you take you out of that into your authentic self. And so to have someone just label you can be a detrimental process. So yes, we always say it needs to be self-discovery or discover it with a coach, research it yourself. Like it needs to be an open journey and a personal one. Otherwise it actually short circuits the whole purpose of the Enneagram. And Luke, I just, I didn't want to jump over that. And I just wanted to say like, you're an amazing friend. Thank you for trying to understand your five friend. That's exactly the type of a love that a five needs because they struggle. They want to be known, but fives need space to explore. And so they need to know that it's okay if they don't use all the right words. They need to know that it's okay to question. Like, fives don't understand needs because needs tend to be emotional and it's really safe for them to stay in logic, safe for them to stay in their heads. So touching a need in another person or themselves is a really vulnerable and risky experience. And so we can befriend fives and give them room and space by allowing them to even be a little bit abrasive as they first come in contact with needs. And question why do you need that like that's not them trying to be a jerk when someone says like I have this need if they can understand the why behind you needing something they do actually want to need it they just get overwhelmed by the fact that they don't know how to need it so for a five they have to pair this logical journey with an emotional one at the same time to understand why the need is legitimate in the first place. And then it's okay to lean into risk if they fully don't understand and to give themselves the ability to be in process 
without having to master it, that they don't have to understand it all first before they can receive. But so that can be a complicated journey for a five, but it's so important. And the curiosity that a five brings to searching out needs when they can start applying that to understanding emotions, it's world changing for them and the people around them. Yeah. Yeah. Just as you're talking to seeing the growth that he's made and but also the struggle that he's had to overcome to make the growth that he's made as you're talking us just understanding more of the the hurdles that he's had to overcome to make that kind of growth it's inspirational inspirational yeah and just encouraging me to validate those those steps he's making and uh, acknowledge what he's overcome but also the hesitancies with emote with relationships like those those hesitancies are because he doesn't want to be manipulated, doesn't want to be like the emotion has overcome him in other relationships. And so he's now trying to manage like, okay, I'm putting up boundaries for myself. And so just understanding those dynamics really, really helpful. Just a clarifying question. Um, catastrophic depletion, is that five or nine? That is a five. Okay. Yes. Your catastrophic depletion. Like they fear all of their resources being drained to the point of annihilation. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really real fear for them. That's what anxiety looks like for a five because they've been in situations where the needs were so overwhelming, usually in their childhood, that they couldn't meet them. So they fear losing the very existence of themselves when they're encountering some of those places. And so that's a great question, Lauren. And Luke, like what you just said about validation, like, yes, like the Enneagram allows us to understand our friends and our family and ourself and to meet others with validation and compassion for the journey that they've been on. Like when we can understand that the hurdles that each one of us individually has overcome, it's a really powerful experience. Like some of my best friends, two of my best friends are fives and to watch the way they step into the world and to see it through their eyes. And fives can also see beauty and connection like nobody else can either. Like they bring so many gifts, but to interact with compassion in those places, to have understanding that they might need to leave a social gathering early and not shame them for that. Like social interaction is tiring. It's not just about being an introvert. It's about the resources that it takes for them to engage relationally where they would be just as happy at home um, being lost in the discovery channel for five hours, you know, as they like recover. That's amazing. I love it. So Katie, well, tell us about Katie's number next. I'm an Enneagram six. I love me some sixes out there. Um, we are loyal. We are skeptical. Um, my favorite thing about sixes is that we are a bundle of contradictions. Like one minute we're very compliant to authority and the next minute we're very sassy. Like, oh no, you didn't, excuse me. Um, we can at any given time go from one end to another. Um, the favorite quote of a six is it depends. Context is so important to us. Situational awareness, so important to us safety is a really big thing. Like 
We love to create safe places for people because that's what we ourselves desire to feel safe and secure and welcoming. So sixes are very loyal friends. Um, sometimes we can be too loyal to the point of staying in unhealthy places because we can see the good. But a six has an incredible ability for problem solving. That's their strength. Um, the weakness, the underside of that is worst case scenarios. And sixes can struggle with anxiety by getting caught in worst case scenarios. So they can feel like the Debbie Downer on a team sometimes. Like, why are you always bringing up the problems? Or why, like, why are you always telling me why this would not work? We're constantly scanning the horizon for threats. Um, so it can actually be a very difficult place. And telling a six that it's all going to be fine is as minimizing as telling a four that their emotions don't matter. <laughs> it's the way to gaslight us. And so the way to befriend a six is to actually listen to their concerns. Because as we process it out loud, it enables us to understand where we're at and then move forward. So sixes can struggle with decision-making. The way, the best way to describe the internal world of a six is to picture a giant conference room with a table and chairs around it. And at each one of those chairs is a different voice. Sixes can see the factors and the options at the table. They have an inner committee, whereas a one just has an inner critic. Again, that's why a one and a six can mix because ones have a very loud internal voice. Sixes have a whole crowd of internal voices. And so we can immediately see the outcome in a negative light of all these different situations. And that's what can cause us anxiety. And we love to keep our options open, but that can lead us to analysis paralysis where we can get so stuck that we can't move forward and get overwhelmed by all the potential outcomes. And when people, think of sixes in worst case scenarios. Like I didn't immediately connect to a six when I was studying the Enneagram because I thought worst case scenarios simply meant like a zombie apocalypse or something, right? Like, yes, our brains could go there to world end, but really it might be more like entering a social situation, like getting ready for the podcast with you guys. What happens if I'm five minutes late? Will they think that I'm unprofessional? Will it be disrespecting to them? Um, how is it going to be perceived? Will my microphone work? What if my microphone doesn't work? Um, is it ready? Am I prepared? Sixes thrive on being prepared. So worst case scenario looks like our brain racing frequently all the time about many small things. And so the journey for a six is to realize that they're good at making decisions and to take this uh, imagination that could see the worst case scenarios and realize, well, what could the good be? And so what if I meet with you guys and we have an amazing podcast episode, right? And it's so fun and it gets me into podcasting or something, right? Like we can start imagining good case scenarios. And that's the journey for the six is to realize that this inner committee doesn't always need to be negative. And that this inner committee makes them a valuable team member and problem solver. So when I was first in, first had jobs, I would sit there at the table and tell all the visionaries why what they wanted to do wouldn't work, right? Kill joy, spread my anxiety everywhere. 
And then as I grew in maturity, I began to realize that I can actually reframe what's happening inside of me and offer solutions. Sixes can come up with great solutions because they can see. Not everybody needs to know the 50 different ways that this could go wrong. But instead, we could ask an insightful question like, hey, have you thought about maybe this? Or if that happened, what would we do here? I love your idea. Let's make it happen. And we realize that there's so much more to that journey. So the strange part about a six is that they fear fear itself. My husband laughs at me for this frequently, that I will have anxiety about the fact that I might have anxiety about something. What if I have anxiety while I'm on the podcast tomorrow? And he's like, um, babe, you're having fear about fear itself. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I don't have to do that. It's fine. <laughs> um, so we don't like uncertainty or chaos, not having support or guidance. We love support and guidance. We love opinions from other people because it helps us determine what's happening in our inner committee and which voices we should listen to. But at the same time, we don't like being controlled or being told what to do. Um, because we like options. Sixes need options. So I'm getting ready for the podcast today and I have tea, water, and coffee next to me. Why? Because I don't know which one I'm going to want in the moment. I'm going to be thirsty and I'm going to need water, but really it's early in the morning for me. I need to finish my morning coffee so I have energy and tea is very calming to me. So if I have anxiety, maybe I should have tea. Now you're all learning way too much about the internal world of a six. But that's how we operate. There's options. And so for a six, the growth journey is narrowing down what we want and becoming consistent and learning to just be, that we can be okay in unpredictable things. We're fully loved and safe here. And if we encounter a situation we're not prepared for, we can believe in ourselves that we'll be able to have a solution. We'll be okay. Um, we're good at thinking on our feet. We just often lack the belief in ourselves. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) That is so, so insightful on sixes. I feel like six for me has been a very just like nebulous number. I, I like, I couldn't get my hands on it. I have a few good six friends too, but it just, I don't know. So that, (laughs) thank you for letting us in your head into the committee room. I mean, that was just so, it like lit up so many parts of my brain to understand that. I feel Um, the same way with a lot of six. They're just hard to peg down, hard to understand, hard to get those little understandings. Like with other numbers, there's just clear stereotypes or clear things. And like with six, it's just a little nebulous. The six isn't going to let you like just nail them down. Yeah. (laughs) They're more complicated than just the behavior. I mean, which is the moral of the story for all these numbers. Right. It's not just the behavior. It's what's going on inside. That That's was really, so helpful. really helpful. I'm, I'm wondering if there are parts with the Sleeping at Last Enneagram songs, if the sixth song, do you resonate with that at all? I don't. <laughs> okay, you don't. I'm, you, I'm, you feel controlled. Is that why? <laughs> a little bit. Like it hits part of it but not the full one. And we don't have time to get into the subtypes today on this episode. Um, But in brief, a subtype is how our motivations show up in different areas. So each type has a subtype. Mine is the counter type. So unlike 
a lot of sixes, I run into what I fear. So I'm like a little bit abnormal as far as sixes go. All of us have the internal committee. All of us have these things. But I think that's why I don't resonate with the Sleeping at Last song as much. Although there are still parts of it that I do. And I always recommend the Sleeping at Last songs for people. If you were trying to discover your Enneagram number, listen to the band Sleeping at Last, the song for the different numbers. Absolutely incredible. And uh, the... So the reason that sixes are so hard to nail down yeah. is that the conscious childhood message that we received was that it was not okay to make mistakes or it's not okay to trust ourselves. And so that's why we're searching for security and it can look different because however we learned it wasn't okay to make mistakes, we need that in our committee. We need those options. So we're always prepared. So the journey for the six is to realize I'm still loved if I make mistakes. Like I am safe as I am. I don't need to figure out more before I can feel safe. I don't have to have the right decor pillow before my living room is a perfect haven of safety. Or I don't need to have X amount in my savings account. Like whatever we attach to that represents security for us. Sixes fear abandonment a lot. If we make a mistake, it equals abandonment. And so we don't want to be abandoned. We don't want to lose the guidance and the support of other people. Um, we're big, big team players. So we thrive in getting feedback from other people. Whereas like an eight is going to be like, do not tell me what to do. Or a five, very independent excuse me, I'm not asking for advice. A six is like, I want your input. I want your feedback. And an unhealthy six will just start doing whatever people tell them to do. But a healthy six will say, I want that voice at the table. I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to compare it. And then I'm going to make my own decision. So we still want the input because it helps us confirm the different voices at our table. Um, but it doesn't, will become more stable and not ping pong from one idea or security to another okay again very good yep super duper insightful i feel like i know you better too Thanks. seriously <laughs> appreciate that that look inwardly so next is seven so sevens i think they're called the enthusiasts is one one name for them kind of the life of the party we think we might have one of those as a child as well <laughs> But kids kind of have a seven energy anyway, right. so we're not positive. We're, we're not on positive, that one. but it, we have other children, and he seems to be a little bit more seven than a normal child. A is. lot more. Um, so yeah, tell us, tell us about this fun on the outside, love all the things seven, an eagerm seven. Oh my goodness, we need sevens. Sevens bring balance and oh adventure and light in the mood and all of these things. And so the other part of a seven is called the entertaining optimist is another name. So the enthusiast or the entertaining optimist and sevens again can present differently. So our stereotypical seven is the life of the party. Two or three of my friends that are sevens are that. I also have a couple of sevens that are very quiet. Um, and don't enjoy being the life of the party. So it's just how their motivation shows up. They want to lead less, but they still want to be involved in an adventure that will distract them. And so I love the word delight for a seven when I think of a seven. The world is your oyster bucket. 
take your fill. What are you going to uncover? So whether you're leading that adventure or just following along on an idea that someone else had, you want to be on that journey. And sevens love to plan and anticipate future events. They can struggle with consistency, get super bored in their jobs if it's repetitive. Sevens need variety and multiple choices. Um, they hate and fear being restricted, limited, or bored. Literally facing pain or boredom is just about the worst thing ever for a seven. It's torture. They in health can be well-rounded and affirming or in stress can be a little bit more narcissistic and escapist with an insatiable appetite for entertainment or enjoyment. So their personality can kind of, every Enneagram personality can do really big swings with a seven because they're so outward, it's sometimes easier for us to see that swing or maybe we wouldn't see it as much in the five, but it happens in all of us. They can run into problems by being discattered, discattered, <laughs> Um, but their superpower is also transforming boring daily tasks into something fun. They will make up a game when you're doing the dishes. Like they're always going to be seeking. Um, they never wanna miss out on anything fun. They suffer from FOMO way more than any of the other numbers, but they also hate being tied down. So they wanna keep their options open. A seven will not commit to something if they have three options that could all be equally fun. What do they choose? So maybe they'll actually do 10 minutes at each party. And in the end, maybe we'll get the satisfaction that they actually wanted, but they got to be in three spaces that night and hit the friend group here, there, and there. Their core desire is to be satisfied and content and have all of their needs fulfilled. They want to be happy and satisfied and enjoy a very wide variety of experiences and want to keep their options open. And they want to enjoy life. They fear being limited, bored, or incomplete, inferior, missing out, being disappointed, or trapped in emotional pain. Seven's quest for adventure can sometimes be running from their anxiety. They don't want to face their internal world or any pain or anxiety. So if they can stay busy enough, they will stay ahead of it. And so they're kind of always running. Sevens are really amazing escape artists. <laughs> the unconscious childhood message though that drives this is that it's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. So they learned that their needs would sometimes be met and sometimes not. So much inconsistency that they end up not, okay, I can't depend on you. You won't come through. So I need to take care of myself and I'm going to run on to the next thing. But the catch 20 of that is that their heart loves to hear you'll be taken care of. That's all a seven wants to know. At the end of the day, you'll be taken care of. Someone will be there for them. Someone will show up consistently for them. Um, they'll meet them on adventures. Like if you have a seven friend and you're needing to talk about something difficult, the coffee shop might be difficult, <laughs> but maybe take them kayaking and have a difficult conversation. Like go on an adventure with them to show them they're moving. They're not going to be trapped in their pain. And there's still so much joy in life on the other side of pain. Um, I think sometimes they fear that facing their pain will kind of take them out and they won't, they'll miss out on a fun adventure if they face their pain when actually facing pain 
and the anxiety in their internal worlds will allow them to move through it and be steady and still go on all the adventures they want. It doesn't mean that they won't be able to, but that can be a hurdle for a seven to move through. Mm, that's uh, kind of <laughs> affirms more and more <laughs> about our son. Definitely. Um, How does the knowledge part come up for a seven being in the, the head triad? What does that look like for them? I feel like the five and six, that's a little bit more clear, but how would you describe that for the seven? So the seven is going to have a smattering of knowledge about a wide variety of things, maybe not very in depth, but they've most likely gone skydiving, skiing, tried P90X at least once. They're going to have a wide variety of experiences and they gain knowledge through their experiences. So whereas a seven is going to master two or three things and find a lot of knowledge in them deep in the trenches, fives are very deep and the sevens are very wide in their knowledge base. Um, they've probably tried out at least five different music genres um, on a mixed playlist. Like it's all about their options and finding knowledge in different situations. That's what's stimulating to them. Hmm. So interesting. That is very fascinating. I have a good uh, seven friend and it is amazing to me how beneficial her perspective is especially me as an eight I am not the optimist what did you say entertaining optimist that's not my default at all I'm more like the one I see the air in all the things and just in conversation with her it's amazing how she brings such a different perspective that because I love her and because she cares about my heart, I'm able to like open up and receive that and really see the flip side of things, which is such a balancing, a positive balancing thing for me and my negativity. Absolutely. I can echo that. Like my seven friends have taught me so much about being okay, taking risks. Like sixes can, we can be so cautious that like similar to a five, it can take a lot to get us going. Thinking is doing to us. <laughs> the process of thinking it through is so complete. We might as well have just done it, but it can keep us from action. And so sevens, the risk that a seven will take is so needed for the rest of us. They will take us out of our boxes and out of our comfort zones and show us what the world could be in a really beautiful, optimistic way. Like fives and sixes, we have so much reserve and so much caution, but the seven is like, caution to the wind, let's do this. And like super uncomfortable for the rest of us, but exactly what we needed to be well-rounded people. Um, they can bring us that hope, they see the upside. So whereas the anxiety of a six makes you see all the negatives, the anxiety of the seven forces them to think, well, maybe all of these things could happen. So they run away from their anxiety and into the positive, a little bit of denial in there. But again, those strengths and weaknesses, we learn so much from each other. So my friend, that's a seven, I balance her out by bringing the counterpoint of like, well, have you thought about this? <laughs> like, what about seeing it this way? And she's brought out the fun in me by being like, Katie, let's go out tonight. Let's do that. And I'm like, oh, that's out of my routine. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. I can be risky. 
I'll go on a girl's night and stay in, in a hotel in a bed that I've never been in before. That's throwing six way out of their comfort zone, right? But a seven's like, let's do it. And so we can learn so much from each other. Every Enneagram number has a gift that they bring and they give to the world and to each other. I love that. Every number has a gift. And if we take the time to learn what that gift is, we can receive so many more gifts. Yeah. And love people so much better yeah. according to what they actually need, not what we need or what we think they should need. That's like exactly it, Lauren. That's like the, that's the linchpin. We can use the Enneagram to understand people to love them as they truly are. So often we try to love people the way we want to be loved. And that's where all the miscommunication in the book comes in. It's not because we all have evil desires to not meet each other's needs, right? It's like, we don't actually understand that what you need is different from what I need. So loving you, like my five friend, we've learned so much from each other. I'm the loyalist. So we just had a disagreement or a misunderstanding. I'm pursuing her like crazy. Well, to a five, that feels smothering, right? To a six, I wanna be pursued. I want the support and then to know that you're coming after me. The five is like, dude, give me space. Let me think about it, right? And I realized I'm loving her the way, the way I wanna be loved, not the way she wants to be loved. She thinks about it, we come back, we talk about it, we're great. And now in our friendship, we've added so much balance and growth to each other that she'll be like, I need time to think about that, but I know how important it is for you to know I'm not abandoning you. So I'm going to think about it and I'm going to come back and I'll say, Hey, I can see you're struggling, but I'm going to give you space. I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. And we've learned to love each other in a really deep way in that process by understanding what the other person actually needs and that it's so different from us. Yes. And I've seen that in our marriage. I see that in other people's marriage. I see that in relationship with family members and friends is such a great tool to do relationship well. So next is my, as another number of the, my favorite person, nine is my favorite number, but eight is the number of my favorite person. And that's my wife. That's right. So eight comes back around to the triad that we talked about in the last episode of uh, the gut triad and the anger triad. So if you want to kind of hear more about that in the last episode, but if you could just kind of give, give a quick summary, Katie, of, of that as yeah. we jump into eight. Absolutely. Um, Luke, I love the way you phrased that. I was wondering how to do the same thing because, you know, six, I love my number, but like you, we share a similarity in that we're both married to eights. <laughs> my husband is an eight. And so I often want to say eight's my favorite number because he's my favorite person, but it's not true. I don't, eights are not my favorite number but it's the number that my favorite person has. <laughs> so right. I love that you just delineated that. I was like, there's the wording I'm looking for. We are married to eights and the adventure and the joy that that brings to our lives. And sometimes they're like, huh, what? Um, and all of those, <laughs> all of those circumstances. So um, man, I love eights. Yes, eights are part of the gut triad. Um, I personally believe that eights are one of the mi most misunderstood numbers on the Enneagram. Their stereotypes have done the most to harm them. 
to the point where like a lot of people that could bring balance to their numbers actually fear identifying as eights. Eights also, because of their struggle with vulnerability, don't like to be identified sometimes unless it's a power trip. So we often only have really unhealthy eights identifying themselves as eights. And it kind of does a disservice to the Enneagram and eights as a whole, because they're actually some of the most gentle and loving people that I know. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, so eights, if you're out there, I'm sorry if I expose a little bit of your vulnerability by telling everyone what a soft teddy bear you are on the inside. It's okay, just breathe through it, stay with me. We're gonna, we're gonna get into this, okay? So the eights are part of the gut triad, they know. <laughs> they are driven by their gut instinct, this inner intuition that comes from subconsciously picking up information and observing it. They often don't know how they land at something. And then a journey for an eight is to actually process it out to figure out how they know this thing. Where do they pick it up from? Where did this gut intuition come from? They are can struggle with anger. That's their emotional go-to, and that drives justice for them. Eights are centered around justice. They need to bring justice to the world, to themselves, to situations. Um, it can look like a lot of eights in anything from politics to adoption and foster care, any social justice, ministry, like anything where there's an underdog and rights need to be, or wrongs need to be righted, rather. You're going to find some really powerful eights. They're dynamic leaders, and their anger is actually what taps them in to justice. So injustice brings up anger for them, and it's used as a really helpful tool, or I like to say even a fuel for an eight to press in and bring justice. And so it becomes a really, really beautiful thing. Um, if eights aren't in touch with their anger and unhealth, it can be an explosive thing. But in health, anger is a, an extremely powerful tool that connects them to the rest of their emotions and to the core pieces of the treasure that they bring to the world. Eights are powerhouses. One of their names is called the protective challenger. They Eights are known for only letting two or three people into their inner circle and they will protect them. Like it is life and death on the line protection for them. And, and they will challenge anyone that comes close. Eights also love to challenge social norms and challenge like preconceived rules. Why do we do that? Like eights are going to investigate. Eights are your Martin Luther King. So many powerful leaders are eights because they see something that's wrong and they're gonna write it and they go after it with an intensity that most of the rest of us don't even understand or know how to touch. Um, if you tell an eight that there's a limit, they'll say what limit? Um, even within themselves, so many eights I know struggle with health problems because they're so in the go-getter mode that they hit the floor they hit their bottom and then realize their bottom drops out and there's another layer of reserve underneath. And so we can often abuse eights because we're so addicted to their power and their drive. That's really unfair to them that we don't give them the space to rest or to be vulnerable or to these different things that we wouldn't expect out of other people, but it's just as needed for an eight. So, 
608s. I just love them. I don't even know how to describe them. I love them so much. I think I just have deep compassion for them because I hate the way they're misunderstood. And that doesn't come just from having a husband that's an eight. I have uh, a sister and a best friend that's also an eight. And so it's given me a picture into their world. So a stereotypical eight is a bull in a china shop. Okay. And some eights can be that. Sure. They cannot realize the delicacy around them because of the inner intensity that they live with and can bull through things. But really an eight is probably the most tender on the Enneagram. They have a core that is softer than any of them with a really intense protective shield around it. Things hit them and touch them in ways that the rest of us don't fully understand. And we often try to make eights live like twos, which is their growth number, and mistype them out that they just need to serve, they just need to do that. Um, especially in religious communities, um, I think we've done a really big disservice to eight sometimes because we're scared of their power. We're scared of the way they challenge things. We don't often invite them, especially women eights. It can be a little bit inappropriate. So I love that the Enneagram can break down stereotypes, but we might have a guy that's a type four and it's culturally not okay because he's too sensitive. And we can have a woman Enneagram type eight and we'll label her just as a hard ass or a bitch or something. Those are not okay, these stereotypes, but we make it really hard for some eights to come forward, especially women eights and live in the full amazing power of who they are. So a core fear of an eight is that they fear being weak or powerless, underestimated or vulnerable manipulated or controlled. So eights struggle a lot with vulnerability because people actually knowing what's happening inside of them, they've been very hurt by that in the past. A big word that resonates with a lot of eights is betrayal. To go against an eight or to disclose personal things about them can be a deep seat of betrayal. And so a lot of eights are misunderstood because their passion is to right so many wrongs that they're misunderstood in that process and it puts up more and more walls because in their intensity, their heart is actually pure. It's really good what a lot of eights are trying to do, but because they can do it in such a passionate way, the rest of us can get scared of their passion. When it's actually such a beautiful gift that can be harnessed and, and brought to light. I love that and I love your advocacy for an eight because you're right eights do have a bad reputation but they are such amazing people and i'm not saying that just because of my wife like you said although she is pretty amazing yeah you can say that all you want <laughs> no problem here the eight of my wife has helped me as a nine grow in so many ways the advocacy of an eight, like they advocate for so many other people. And a lot of people don't advocate for them because of either they're seen as, oh, they don't need me or they're too powerful. So I don't need to, I don't want to advocate for them. And, but they're so willing to advocate for everybody else. And so I think us other eight numbers besides the eights need to speak up for those eights and bring attention to their 
the beauty of who they are, especially, I completely agree, especially women eights. Uh, they have such a hard experience of just being labeled a hard ass or a bitch because they're in a lot of cultures, that's not okay for them to be that strong or that outgoing or that outspoken. And it's just, so I just love what you said about the eights and they are such like the world, we need eights to get things done. We need eights to advocate for us. We need eights to uh, bring justice. It's just amazing the power of an eight to run up against so much opposition of their personality and their strength, but they still push through that and get things done. And uh, we need them. It's just, they're just amazing people. I, I just respect them so much. I have, they have, like you said, they have such a great shell. Like they, they're so, they're, they are teddy bears. They're just, they, they pr protect their own and they protect themselves, but they do that out of a desire for right, for justice, uh, for love. They are amazing people. And I think it's so interesting to see you married me. We were super young. You were a nine. You are a nine. I'm an eight. And those numbers, there's a few numbers on the Enneagram that are like so profoundly different. And I think eight and nine are one of those sets. But just how neat that you have had very little threat or intimidation from the power of my, my essence, my eight, because of love because you knew me because we had that connection so even though numbers wise <laughs> my number could have like devoured you especially in the early years when we were both more in our unhealthy space yeah. um and yet you championed my strength because of love and it's just a good reminder that like the numbers that you most misunderstand seek seek to get to know them you know, people, individuals of those types and that knowing and that connection, I think can change everything. Yeah. And just evidenced by us, um, you had every reason to be totally turned off and threatened by my strength, yeah. especially as a woman in a marriage. And you weren't, you never were, and you never held me back. And because you allowed my strength to, to, to blossom and to essentially to grow into something healthier and more less reactive, you've allowed me to become the person that I'm supposed to be. Whereas if you had fought my strength or tried to like, you know, tamp it down or manipulate it. Oh man, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I was yeah, <laughs> volcano effect. Like I would have just, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a relationship yeah. anymore. Just the importance of understanding the Enneagram and the number of your spouse or a friend and allowing them to be who they are. Cause you were saying like for a male to be a four is not accepted because he's sensitive for an eight, for a woman to be an eight is not okay. Cause she's too powerful. And we've experienced that. Like even for me as a nine of allowing her to be her eight, there's been organizations of people have said like told me that I'm, insecure and unhealthy and that Lauren is controlling and domineering because 
of our personalities. And we're just like, no, we actually, I'm not, I'm not allowing her to run me over. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging her to be who she is and it's healthy. Like she's not running me over. We're, we're walking this journey together and they couldn't see it because it didn't fit in their worldview. Yeah. It was, you need to have control, Luke and Lauren, you need to be submissive. <laughs> and, but I was helping her be fully who she was, which meant I didn't have to be the powerful overbearing husband. Right. And actually that person would have been the insecure person. Right. The domineering, the one who's threatened by their their wife's power, that would have actually been the insecure person. Right. So it's so funny how of how we take our biases and misunderstandings of people and shove them into what we think they should be. But as we let as we understand the essence of people and allow them to be the essence, it can be very beautiful. You guys are so right. I think I'm up to like four or five, like have me back on and can we unpack this for a whole episode? Literally get on a soapbox and like go because eights are such advocates for everyone. And I just want to advocate back for them. And for some eights, that's going to feel really loving. And for some, it's going to be like, excuse me, I don't need you. That's okay. I'm your friend in this journey. Okay. I believe in your power to advocate for yourself too. I just want to create space for all of you and something else that kind of forms an eight that I wanted to briefly touch on is that their unconscious childhood message is it's not okay to be vulnerable and it's not okay to trust anyone. And for them, that's often comes from a root of misunderstanding of people misunderstanding their intentions of people misunderstanding their actions. Um, my husband tells this story all the time of when he was a little boy it was Christmas time and he wanted to help his cousins unwrap their Christmas presents. And everyone was like, oh, you're so helpful. You're so amazing. Look at you trying to help. And my husband tells that story and he's like, yeah, well, that was nice, but I wasn't trying to help them. They weren't being efficient. <laughs> like there's a more efficient way to do this process. Eight C systems. They see everything from a tower perspective and can help us uncover better ways of doing things more efficiently. And we don't always know how to receive that because we have this preconceived notion of like, no, it's our security. This is the way it should be. But an eight is going to challenge that in a really beautiful way to make us all better. But we so often miss the gifts that they're bringing in the challenge that we write them off and that betrays them because we misunderstand them. So that comes across as a betrayal and then their walls go up. And so, yes, we have angry eights out there. We have a stereotypical angry eight, right? But we also have a whole group of people that are marginalized and are really amazing, hurting, beautiful people that show up day after day because they are so committed to what they're advocating for. No matter how much you beat them up, they still don't stop. Like they are so amazing, but the rest of the Enneagram has often done them a disservice by misunderstanding them, marginalizing them, telling them that they're too much when, yeah, like the rest of us, we need to figure out how to harness their power, right? There's maturity in that. Just like there is for every number, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, but we often don't give them space to figure that out. And instead we keep misunderstanding them, which keeps their walls going up and up and up and up and up. 
which makes them harder to access, harder for us to see their true intentions. And they get caught in a loop um, that they can break by being vulnerable, which is really hard for them. But that's a big growth point for an eight to actually say, this was my intention to defend themselves. They're so quick to defend everyone else, but the vulnerability to show you what's happening inside them can be really hard. So the cycle gets broken when we step in and understand and ask questions and become a safe place. Or when they start believing in themselves that even if they're misunderstood, what they're trying to offer is still valuable. Um, and when they start believing in themselves, that creates a lot of shifting too. I just wanna add just personally, along with what you've said, I when I found out about the type Enneagram 8, it was like, <laughs> I wish I could rewind back to that day or that week, you know, when it started to just come together and it was so clear. Like you said, people, it's vulnerable diving into the Enneagram because you realize like, wait a minute, this person is like in my, in my head, in my world. How is this possible? But I just remember, um, for me, I felt tremendous relief. Like it felt like the first time, I think a lot of eights because they feel so misunderstood in so many settings for so long, they're on the defense and they're constantly in that hypervigilant defensive mode um, because of the misunderstanding and that everyone else's misunderstanding has led to their own misunderstanding of themselves and their own questioning and gaslighting even of their own way of engaging so when I saw that like my temperament was actually a thing like I it wasn't just some like random universe air that in me it was a definable explainable temperament it was so relieving because I didn't feel so misunderstood anymore and I understood finally what I intuitively experienced, but didn't have words for. And so once I got to that point of seeing it, the relief came, the empowerment came, and actually the freedom to not have to lean so hard into that, that more uh, challenging side of my eight. It like just let all the weight and the pressure to have to do that go. And it brought choice back and mindfulness back into how I engaged with people. And I mean, I can't even tell you how powerful it's been in the last couple of years for me. I'm just so thankful. That's so good, Lauren. I want to just add one word to all the things you say. Like, I want to give you so much feedback right now that again, we'll be on episode like six of this or something. So like it, I, I heard you say in all of this that discovering your number gives you permission. Like it gives us permission to be ourselves absolutely to explain to do all of these things and especially for eights I love the way it gives them permission to be themselves even if it can feel a little exposing like for some eights the first time they hear about the Enneagram their gut response is no <laughs> I will not be boxed in no you're not going to put all my vulnerabilities on a piece of paper like but when they start to grasp it and get into it, it actually gives them the permission that they've longed for for a really long time. Exactly, 100%. So good. Wrapping up another excellent episode with Katie. Katie, thank you so much for all your insight, 
your teaching, all the information. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for spending these two episodes with us. Did you have anything you wanted to end with? Any? We don't want to cut you off if there's anything you're just like, you know, dying to say. Other than can we just hang out and do this again? Because it's so fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. No, I think... I think I would just end with, if you are new to the Enneagram, or maybe if you were familiar with it for a really long time, that it's still a journey and that there's space. This isn't something that you have to arrive at. Give yourself permission to explore different numbers, to discover who you are, to hold space for other people, that it can just be this beautiful coming together of many things and that it's okay to have large responses to looking at your numbers. And also any number, any person out there, if you heard what I said about your number and didn't like it, it's okay. You have permission to say, well, that's not really true for me because we're all individuals as we go through a really complex system that we've boiled down into two podcasts. So it's so important as much that you feel heard so if you didn't feel heard in this space, it's okay. Like keep digging into it. Someone else is going to resonate with you. Don't give up on the journey. We're all so complex and so beautiful. The Enneagram becomes our starting place. It becomes that roadmap. So I just want all the listeners to know, like you have permission to be you. That's the purpose of the Enneagram. You have a tool. You are loved and valued for who you are, no matter where you're at on the journey. If you've been into the Enneagram for 25 years, or this is the first time you've heard about it, we're in this together. Mm, good word, Katie. That's a good one to end with. Right there, there is space and grace and all the goodness here for this to be so transformational for all of us. Um, I just want to say Katie is an Enneagram coach and consultant. So if you are interested in um, working with her in the future, she you can reach her at Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at benandkatieconsulting.com. And we would actually love to have her on the future and get into even more nitty gritty Enneagram stuff. So this is probably not the last time yeah. we're going to be chatting We've here. We've already talked about that. <laughs> yes, we have. So thank you so much for listening today. And we hope that this has been really enriching for you. As many of you know, Luke and I live in Thailand, where we work here as volunteers. The Fill to Flourish podcast is done in addition to our normal job roles here. If you have been encouraged by the content that we've produced, we would love you to consider a small monthly donation to the podcast so we can continue making the time and um, content that people are really enjoying and it's been an encouragement and blessing to so many. All you have to do is click on the link in the episode description, and it's really easy to give there. Thank you so much for considering. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.